This is The Guardian. Others and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. The WSL returns after an international break that felt like it went on forever, but it's business as usual as Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea, and City get wins. Meanwhile, in the Midlands, Mailing and Sissoko end up as the undercard for Marshall and Shields, even if it was at the Poundland version of the O2. We'll dissect all the weekend action, argue over the Ballon d'Or, take your questions, maybe discuss Millie Bright's boots, and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Well, what a panel we have today. Susie Rack, how are you doing? I am good. Good to be back. Oh, wow. Okay, I, I feel like I over-egged it at the start. And in comes Susie, <laughs> chilled. Yep, fine. Yeah, I'm good. I'm having my vibe. Um, did you see Millie Bright's boots at the uh, National Television Awards? No, no. I have not seen this. What? Find them. Did anybody else? Robin Cowan? Oh, I had to Google it after you said you were going to mention it. And they are magnificent. I've got to say, I mean, I couldn't pull them off. No way. Being five foot one. I mean, they'd go up to my head. Um, but they're, but they're that would be quite amazing Anita Asante <laughs> own any boots like that I don't I, but I wish I could pull them off um she she looked amazing I was like Beyonce-esque with those boots but yeah <laughs> just incredible I was just mesmerized by them <laughs> I, I'm glad I wasn't at the National Television Awards because I'd have looked a bit weird following Billy Bright around. <laughs> Shiny, bright light. Uh, right, let's kick off with last night's Ballon d'Or ceremony. Different kind of shiny, bright lights. Alexia Putea is picking up her second consecutive win, finishing one point ahead of Beth Mead, who is in second place. Sam Kerr finishing in third. Susie, can Beth Mead feel slightly hard done by coming in second? I mean, she won the golden boot. Best player at a Euros her country won. And played a massive role in an Arsenal team who only finished a point behind WSL winners Chelsea. I mean, a point behind twice for two different things. <laughs> yeah, I, I like. I think she feel very hard done by. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I think this is the problem that all big awards, individual awards like this, have. Right? Like, it's who is objectively the best player in the world at football. And then who has been the best player in the last year are two different things. But they seem to, like, the line between that seems to verge. So, like, Puteus, objectively, probably one of the best women playing football on the planet at the moment, if not the best. Did she have the best year? She had a very good year. But for me, Beth did it at club level with Arsenal. Like, yes, she didn't win any trophies. And I think that maybe sort of made the difference. But she had a phenomenal year for Arsenal. And then she had the Euros that she had. And no disrespect for Puteus, like incredible goal scoring record at Barcelona last season. Obviously, they won trophies, didn't win the Champions League. She doesn't play at the Euros. For me, that's not enough to put her ahead of Mead, despite the fact that she is probably objectively a better football player than Beth Mead, if that makes sense. So that for me is the yeah. problem is there's no like line on these awards as to like exactly like how you square that circle. Yeah, and Robin's nodding along, but we have to say there was something quite bittersweet and, and poignant about Puteas lifting this trophy when obviously we're not going to see her play for most of the season because of that ACL injury she picked up. 
Absolutely, yeah. All so gutted when when that happened before the Euros, but also in the context of what's happened with the Spanish team. You know, it's it's actually you think, is she going to be held back along with her other teammates because of of what's going on? So you know, it, it's tricky. And I totally agree with Susie. Like, yeah, she probably is the best footballer, but in terms of like you know, you're taking it in isolation. Possibly, I think Beth Mead should have won it. But it's just, I almost think I know why they have to do this. But kind of the, these sort of awards, individual awards for a team sport, are kind of, I don't, it's just so hard. It's almost pointless, really, to kind of, everyone's going to argue about it. No one's going to be happy. It's kind of, it's not the point of football, is it? Which is very much a, a team sport for most. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Pateas, I don't think anyone would, would begrudge her, obviously. She's incredible. Uh, Anita, obviously, it was a historic win for Alexia being the first women's player to win the award back to back. And this is such a difficult, especially bearing in mind how far the women's game has, has come. Where do you think she stands in in terms of the all-time greats? Oh, she's definitely up there. I think, you know, I agree with both points that Susie and Robin made is that objectively speaking, you could ask someone, okay, in your team, who would you take, Beth Mead or Pateas? It, you know, it depends on what kind of players you that and their attributes and qualities that you really value, and you think that, you know that they could what they could do for you in a, a particular team. Um, but I do think, like you said, Beth Mead is is really unfortunate not to win because she did have a fantastic season. She had an incredible Euros, and are we basing these awards just on what you do domestically at your club, which is what Pateas obviously did with Barcelona on the basis of last season, but didn't compete, didn't win a Champions League, didn't even compete in a Euros. Yeah, that is probably the main issue here, realistically speaking. But yeah, it's it's always tough with these individual awards because ultimately the players that score goals and assists, they get help. <laughs> they don't do it by themselves, do they, realistically speaking? So we're always going to have these challenging uh, debates, but they're great ones to have because... It goes on to the end of time, but she's definitely up there with the martyrs. For me, she's, you know, I think Megan Rapinoe is a fantastic player, but I think she's better, definitely. So she definitely warrants being in that all-time greats list. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations, Alexia, and congratulations, Beth, as well, because still coming second is an enormous uh, achievement for sure. Uh, Right, let's kick off the WSL action, shall we? Arsenal kept up their 100% record with a 1-0 win over Reading, a record crowd, by the way, of 3,660 at the Medeski Stadium for this one. Uh, Stina Blextinius had the only goal of the game. Wasn't without its nervy moments, though, was it, Susie? Oh, no. Um, that's the Arsenal fan in me coming out there, isn't it? Um, no, it's uh, like it's such a big worry for Arsenal not having uh, Leah Williamson as it is for England. We saw against the Czech Republic, uh, you know, it's, they look a very different team without her there, both in terms of like going forward as well as defensively. But then also no Raffaele as well for Arsenal at the back. So you've got this makeshift centre back pairing of Lotta Wobbenmoy, who is very, very good, and Steph Catley, who isn't naturally a centre back. And you know you've it's quite a quite a new thing, and the relationship isn't really you know kind of naturally there between them in that position. Um, and it did look hairy. Um, probably should have been a few goals up uh, in the first half. Um, some really like nice opportunities missed. A couple of uh, efforts off the crossbar, but 
you will always bet on Arsenal to win a game like that, uh, maybe by a bigger margin. And yeah, I think it speaks to the lack of Leah, mostly. Mm, interesting, Anita, as a as a former defender, how much impact does shaking up a, a defence like that have on, on a team? And, and how do you think those two, if they were to play against Leon in the Champions League this week, are going to fare? Oh, very good question, Faye. <laughs> I think, um, no, for me personally, keeping your defence solid is a massive part to making uh, the team feel secure and building that trust and you know relationship with your goalkeeper um when you start having a makeshift defense everyone you're kind of learning again what people do you know you have different types of center backs that complement each other those that are front-footed and aggressive and those who just read the game really well or um, are quick to recover and things like that so I think that's the problem as well for Arsenal because Leah is, is, is a leader in the team as well as just a very good center back and not having that you know, vocal leader in the back line who's kind of marshalling things makes things a bit more challenging because then it's like, who's taking responsibility? Steph Catley, it's not her natural position. So maybe she's not communicating as much as she would normally, for example, just subtle things. And then that connection for the spine of your team, keep the spine of your team solid, then you can kind of tinker with other positions a little bit. So that's the challenge. And I think now going against Leon, um, you know, they'll it will be difficult for them because they haven't had a consistent run of games where they've been playing in this way. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how they how they do that because we still don't know how long Leah Williamson is going to be out for. So, you know, they're going to have to try and get this communication and and see how they fare. And I suppose test yourself against the um the, the reigning Champions League winners um will be a good way to to look into it. Yeah, I just wanted to say I don't understand why we don't know what Leah Williamson's injury is yet. Like, why haven't they told us what it is? I'm really worried that they've not told us. This is us. a thing in women's football, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, both from an England and an Arsenal point of view. I have to say that lack of communication about what the injury actually is, is the biggest worry, I would say. Um, Robin, Kelly Chambers' team looked a little bit more robust, perhaps, than they had before the international break. A fantastic debut for goalkeeper Jackie Burns as well. We maybe just don't give Kelly Chambers enough credit, I would say, as a manager. She did a really good job. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think the reason Reading have been successful is pretty much because of Kelly Chambers, who just seems to single-handedly run the whole operation. She's incredible. Um, and this was a really impressive performance. We know they can put out these really good rearguard actions. I remember last season watching their, their win against Chelsea, you know, Rose scoring and then, then basically backs to the wall. And it was just, it was so exciting to watch, even though it was basically defence against attack and it was brilliant. Um, I think they were very unlucky. Some of their set pieces were really good. Um, Zinsberger made some really good saves. And I think Arsenal, occasionally their decision-making wasn't great when they're on the attack, just one too many touches. But I do think... I mean, the weather was absolutely filthy, wasn't it? So I do think, yeah, we obviously don't want to, players don't like to, I'm sure, like pay too much credence to that, but it looked so difficult at times to play in that. It didn't look nice. And I think also that brings up the, the fact that it was a record attendance on a Sunday evening when it was on telly in that weather. I mean, that whoever wanted to go, they were committed to going. So a fair play to them, whoever went and, and uh, you know, stood in that rain for that long. Um, but just in terms of the result, really significant for Arsenal, really significant in terms of keeping up their 100% record. 
Mm. Uh, Chelsea level on points with um, Arsenal and Manchester United having played a a game extra, of course. Um, But the club obviously had some tough news this week after it was announced Emma Hayes had undergone an emergency hysterectomy. Both the women's and men's teams wore warm-up shirts saying, get well soon, Emma, which was a a brilliant gesture from the club. But she's going to be such a massive miss on the sidelines for Chelsea Robin. Oh yeah, no, she's a real character on the sidelines. I mean, not just her sort of tactical nous and but her presence. She is such a presence. I mean, we I think you've all probably seen that when the BBC did the West Ham game at King's Meadow and Chelsea scored. And um, unfortunate cutaway to Emma Hayes, and uh, she uh, she let her feelings be known. Um, and yeah, didn't have to be a lip reader to know what she was saying about that. <laughs> she, but yeah, I, I think they're really pushing this line of you know they they've got really cohesive coaching staff. And I'm sure Denise Reddy might have had, a, had to have a lie down after all that, having Emma Hayes, um, I'm sure, in her ear for the whole for the whole game. So <laughs> I guess she's there in spirit, if not in body. But I do wonder if it will, it might affect them because she's kind of like, it's like kind of the head, the headmaster's gone and uh, it's kind of doesn't focus the mind a little bit, you know? But as I say, like Paul Green, Denise Reddy, they're all there the whole time. So I don't think in terms of like instruction, it will it will make any impact on Chelsea. But I do wonder about just, you know, you look over to the bench and, and she's not there. And I don't know. I, as I say, I don't know. I'm not a player. It's just to be interesting to see what the impact might be, could be. What would you say the impact is, Anita? Well, firstly, I was thinking that reminds me of a Vic Akers back in the day when he couldn't be at a game on, you know, on the blower the whole game. So, you know, something Emma definitely would have picked up. Uh, and, and the, but ultimately, yeah, I, I definitely think the impact is is just her presence as well, as you mentioned, the presence in the room, the players. You know, you feel that, you know it, you respect it, um, and sometimes she would, she wouldn't have to maybe even communicate a single word, and you know what's expected, and and that's what she you know has an abundance in terms of her leadership and her character and obviously her personality. So obviously, the hope for them is that it, it doesn't impact them and they they can go on the way they have been and, and performing well. But ultimately, there is something about your boss not being there that sometimes can make the energy come down or even, you know, the quality of your work sometimes come down. But, you know, those girls are ultimate professionals and they're winners and they are so motivated to try and hold on to the, the league title. So I'm sure they will, if anything, they'll use this as an opportunity to keep going, to keep driving forward um, and performing at their best. Yeah, Susie, you were covering this one. Was there any lack of energy? It was a 3-1 win in the end. Penilla Harder and Neve Charles on the score sheet, but it wasn't an easy victory. No, it wasn't. And it, like, in a way it was, um, in that they won comfortably. But like, each time I've watched Everton this season, I thought they look really good under Brian Sorensen and they look really well organised. And there's just like much more coherence to what they're trying to do than there was last season. Um, And like you saw the impact of that, you know, they had some decent moments against Chelsea. They stifled them quite a bit. It took like the genius of Penilla Harder to actually unlock them. And yeah, it it, it wasn't an easy game. And I think Everton are going to be quite a tricky fixture for, for most of them. well, most, I was going to say most of the top sides, but for all clubs this season. I don't think that's a necessarily a walk in the park in the way it, it perhaps was last season. On Emma being missing, I like just love 
the way she manages the team almost preps them for this moment, right? Because she is so big on her players being able to decision-make independently and on the pitch and involves them in the decision-making processes and, like, you know, discusses what they should do with them. It's not her dictating from top. It's them having a discussion on what they should do often. Then, you know, when you get a situation like this where your manager isn't there, obviously that's going to be impactful to some extent anyway. But, like, they're not looking for to her for the answers necessarily because she's put them in an environment where they're empowered to be able to come up with solutions themselves on the pitch because she recognises that she isn't physically on the pitch and something they have to be able to make those decisions in, in moments of the game where, you know, her shout from the sideline isn't going to reach. What I would say is that I don't think Chelsea have hit their stride yet. I think in every game they've looked slightly vulnerable and I just wonder with Emma not being there, that might affect things a little bit because... It's always traditional for Chelsea towards the second half of the season. They look unstoppable and re- and teams really fear them. Whereas they, they do tend to start a little bit slow and build up. And actually, I don't think they're looking anywhere near their best yet. Although obviously they're still pulling out these results. Just a quick one on Kadisha Buchanan, Anita, because her own goal almost got Everton back into it. What, what have you made of her first month or so at Chelsea? Because from my point of view, she just doesn't seem to be fitting in quite as well as we all expected her to. Yeah, I think she's had a difficult start um, since she's been at Chelsea. It's not really fallen for her in the in the right way in the situations. You know, the first game that she played with the penalty situation where, you know, you see an experienced centre-back like that, you're not expecting those kind of rash challenges in the box necessarily. Um, again, with the own goal, you know, perhaps unfortunate, but it just doesn't seem to be like she's found her flow yet. She's not comfortable yet. Um, maybe she's still trying to find her feet in the system and the way that Chelsea are looking for her to play. Um, so that's the challenge. And I think what Robin said about them not looking like, you know, they're, they're really got going yet. I think that's probably part of it as well, because they've had such a consistent back line, you know, in Magdalene Eriksson and obviously Millie Bright, typically with additions in the fullback areas. Now they're trying to almost revert to how we used to play when I played at Chelsea with the three at the back with Kadisha in the middle. Um, so Emma will want her to be the ball-possessing centre-back that can carry the ball and things like that. And I think that is her strength. But defensively, at times, she has looked very vulnerable and her decision-making at times has been questionable. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she is able to sort of get out of that kind of funk, I would say. Yeah, funk. Good word. Uh, Chelsea, like Arsenal, off to France this week to play their Champions League opener. They're up against Paris Saint-Germain, which is uh, obviously going to be a very interesting match-up. One team hoping to be doing that next season, Manchester United. They continued their unbeaten start to the season. It was a comfortable 4-0 win over Brighton. Goals from Ella Toon, Leah Galton and Adriana Leon. Uh, Anita, you were at this one. Uh, it felt like very much a, a walk in the park for United. Yeah, as a dominant Man United performance, you know, they were really good. Um, free-flowing football, interchangeable movement. You know, Nikita Paris looked lively as well. Um, their right side in Garcia, you know, was really impressive. It was good to see her play and see that link-up play. And obviously, Toon was influential with Galton as well and getting on the score sheet. And you can see that Man United have definitely added depth to the side. 
Um, they have more ways to to threaten the opposition um, and they're, they're more adaptable. And that's going to actually put them in good stead, I think, for trying to break into that top three. Um, obviously, getting Millie Turner back in the, the centre-back position as well is is massive for them this season. So, um, yeah, it was a really comfortable win, I would say, say for them in the end. Susie, you know, we talked just a second ago about Chelsea not quite hitting their stride. I know that you feel Arsenal aren't quite fully at it, but this Brighton side, there doesn't seem to be something quite right as well. Obviously been a really tough start to the season. They've got Chelsea up next, so they'll have played three of the last season's top four in their opening four matches. So you need to take that into account. But are you a little bit worried about them this season? Yes and no. Like, I I think that is a big a big thing to take into account, the fact that they are playing like some of the best sides in the league. Like I think Hope said after the game that, you know, it was just the better team won. They are just a better team and they are just a better team. Um, you know, the fact that you've got like it very overtly shown in one of Brighton's starlets um, from last season, Myla Tissier is now in the the Man United back line, United have a pulling power that Brighton just don't, despite the fact that they've got these, you know, incredible state of the art facilities, possibly even the best in the league now in terms of like the, the, the type of environment that those players are, are working in. It's still not the, the pulling power of all those big teams. So they'll find some rhythm for sure. Um, and I think, you know, like once they've got these games out of the way, they'll definitely start to improve. And obviously, when you lose games and lose them significantly, like uh, against Man United, that's going to be quite damaging to confidence and things like that. But then the games that come next should be easier. Like that should have prepared you to it for a certain extent. You've played at such an intensity in those games that then when you go into the games against what should be sort of more evenly matched or, or lesser opposition... In theory, you should be much, much better prepared for them than than perhaps you were. I'm not overly worried about them. Um, like in terms of the teams that are going to struggle this season, I don't think they're going to be one of those potentially. <laughs> I'm sitting on the fence again, aren't I? I need to get off the fence. Yeah, I no, I agree with you. But equally, we do know what your predictions are like, Susie. So uh, <laughs> any Brighton fans out there listening to this, uh, close your ears. Um, Robin, this game kind of turned into the Ella Toon show, really, didn't it? Uh, two goals and an assist in just 66 minutes. Is she the player? I mean, they have many, don't they now? Uh, but is she the player, perhaps, that's going to help make sure United do take that final step towards Champions League qualification? I think it's very much more of a they, they've got more depth now because I think too much was resting on Toon and Russo for last season, the previous season. So now they've got a lot more strength and depth. I do think, just going back to Brighton, the goals, the first two in particular, were very concerning. You know, Toon was completely free to head in. Um, I don't think she even really needs to jump to, to win the header. And she's short. Yeah, you know, it's like... It, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like letting me win ahead. Not quite that bad, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's, it, I mean, it, you know, Brighton can be, you know, fair enough. You get beaten by a better team, but those sorts of things are quite worrying. And but I agree with Susie. Like, get the Chelsea game out of the way, and then we'll see. We'll see what they can do. But like, yeah, I'd be concerned about that. But yeah, United. I just think too much, as I say, was resting on Ella Toon, and I think she she felt the pressure a little bit last season. I remember she, she missed a fair few chances and those kind of narrow margins meant they didn't quite make the top four obviously she's had an incredible summer 
Her confidence will be sky high. She's obviously got better as a player. She's still young. But I think just having those other players around her will, will be the best thing for United. And I do think they're set up to really challenge this season. That's it for part one of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. In part two, ding, ding, we'll discuss that punch-up at the Poundland Bescott Stadium in Walsall. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Now, now, Aston Villa at West Ham. It all kicked off in the Midlands, didn't it? Uh, West Ham going 2-0 up early on, thanks to goals from Dagny Brynastottir and Hanaka Hayashi, with Kenza Dali pulling a goal back for Villa. But, of course, all the headlines, Anita, went to Hawa Sissoko, who received the most extraordinary slash ridiculous red card. Yeah, I mean, it was... um... You know, it was something that we haven't seen very often in the women's game. And it's the kind of behaviour that we don't really want to advocate either. It seemed a strange thing to happen so late in the game as well. Didn't really make sense to me that she would have that sort of overreaction to what was, I think, a professional foul from Bailey. And yeah, of course, it was probably annoying for her and frustrating. But ultimately, you know, both players should not have been pushing and shoving each other the way they did. Um, and obviously the the red card was rightly awarded. And I think Mayling was also probably lucky to stay on the pitch as well. It didn't look good, Robin, did it at all? No, I mean, I'd say what Anita was saying, we don't see it in the men's game, really. We see those pathetic sort of headbutts that aren't even headbutts. I mean, this was, I mean, she took a swing at her like three times, didn't she? This is, And that's just what makes me wonder if something else was going on either throughout the game or in the background because it was really like it was shocking wasn't it to watch it was just you just don't see it in kind of really any sport unless it's a kind of you know UFC or boxing it was just it was it was totally mad yeah and actually you know clearly Sissoko's behavior was completely unacceptable but as you said Anita Sarah Mayling more than played her part in this incident committing the foul for just the one thing whatever else happened but some of the online reaction to what happened has also been really concerning. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't been across all of it, but of course, I think naturally it gets a reaction because it's so shocking and people aren't used to seeing that occur in, in the game in general. But again, when things like this occur, abuse seems to, you know, come alongside it online. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the players um, are still having to deal with being subjected to things like that that play no part in the game and just the game itself. Um, And then it becomes like, you know, personal types of targets and things like that. And, you know, that's, that's a massive shame because ultimately West Ham won three points and an important part of their campaign this season. Um, And, you you know, you you just don't want anyone to really have to face (laughs) online abuse, but this, we've been around talking about this for a long time. So more does need to be done in, in protecting that space. West Ham manager Paul Koncheski had picked up a red card as well and there were a few rumours flying around as to what had actually happened but both clubs uh, cleared that up after the match that you know it wasn't uh, the violent conduct that some had thought it thought it was but clearly just a something that we just don't want to see I like I, I don't care whether it's women's football men's football I just just behave you know be professionals you are professionals there was also controversy uh, on the Aston Villa side, though, Robin. Alicia Lehman missing a penalty that Carla Ward then came out and said 
Rachel Daly was supposed to take. That, that kind of puts a bit of a dampener, the whole result really, on, uh, on Villa's fantastic start to the season. It does. That's a real, um, that's quite embarrassing, actually. Real miscommunication. We've seen it, you know, in the men's game, haven't we? And usually the, what happens is the the uh, the person who wants to take the penalty doesn't score. We've seen it so many times. Um, and I bet she's absolutely furious. I mean, it needs, you know, Carla, obviously. <laughs> I mean, this this seems like um, it wouldn't be something that would, wouldn't have been sort of talked about beforehand, like who's going to take a penalty, would it? I mean, this clearly was, I mean... Could Lehman be in a bit of hot water with her manager here? Yeah, I imagine Lehman was, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think Carla was, um, as, as from what I heard, was quite animated on the side when that happened. And she was expecting Rachel Daly to step up and take it. And yeah, you, you know, at first I thought, oh, perhaps Rachel wasn't taking it because it's against a former club. And maybe there's all that kind of, you know, the goalkeeper knows where she's going to go, that type of thing. But then... To see the reaction afterwards, and obviously Carla was furious, said it in a press response after, then, yeah, it, it's embarrassing and it's not what you want and you don't want players falling out over situations like that. And ultimately, it's part of a tactical plan. You know, it's a set piece, essentially. And so it would have been discussed. It would have been, <laughs> you know, shared amongst the team as to who takes responsibility and, um you know, that's put probably Lehman in a, in a bad position with her manager who's going to be like, do I even trust you to enact the game plan when I when I need to? Because actually we've dropped three points and that could have changed the whole momentum perhaps of the game. Do you know what? I'm quite surprised that Rachel Daly didn't put her foot down because she, she's not backward in coming forward, is she? And I'm surprised <laughs> she didn't just kind of, you know, take it back off her and say, no, not my position. You're, you're looking, I know what you're going to say, Robin, you're going to say, actually, then that gets uncomfortable on the pitch. You know, you're not having it. I was just saying like, because yeah, you, you kind of, <laughs> do you want them wrestling over the ball? Do you know, I mean, it just, I mean, it's really, I mean, it's awkward for, for Rachel Daly. I kind of feel for her because like, how far is she going to go? You know, for, but I mean, I guess it, it I don't know how things work like in the in the heat of the moment, but like could could the coaching staff have done a bit more? Go, look, no, no, it's you give it to Rachel, give it to Rachel Daly now. I mean, I don't know, but clearly there was a massive breakdown in communication and uh and yeah, although it would have been quite funny to see them going, No, it's my ball, it's my ball. <laughs> um that probably is even less of a good look than it already was. <laughs> I was going to say, look, to that point, Robin, you know, fair dues to Rachel Daly to just contain herself and not get mm. to that point because I've actually played on a team where that's happened between teammates where we've got a penalty and they're fighting over it you know, oh, and everyone's standing there like, what's going on? And we're just baffled by it and and, and embarrassed. And, 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 you know, similar thing occurred where the player missed. So, yeah, it's uncomfortable for, I think, everyone. <laughs> I, I think it goes back to the original point when we started talking about this game, really. Professionalism is key. You know, th this league is professional. This club is professional. Uh, both clubs are professional. Let's all be professional. Uh, <laughs> Manchester City, Leicester City. Finally, some points on the board for Man City, beating bottom of the table, Leicester. Uh, finished 4-0 in the end. Goals from Bunny Shaw, Lauren Hemp and Yui Hasegawa. Um Gareth Taylor finally shuffling his pack, Robin. Um, Steph Horton and Demi Stokes drop into the bench. Hasegawa coming into midfield kind of maybe shows that finally he might have worked out exactly where his side's problems are. Possibly, yeah. I think, you know, credit to him for kind of shuffling the pack. But what I would say is that 
Um, with all due respect to Leicester, I'm not sure we learned a huge amount um, about Manchester City in this game. Um, you know, Leicester obviously not going to survive on results against teams like Man City, no matter what their struggles are. So um, he probably felt that he could. So it'll be really interesting to see in the coming games whether, you know, he restores his sort of, I don't know, the, the players that he, I don't want to say trust because I'm sure he trusts all of them, but just whether what if he is going to kind of revert back to to uh, the sort of uh, experience of Steph Horton and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously a really important win for City. They were under a lot of pressure in this one, but I do think Leicester are going to struggle this season. I actually think in, in their previous games, they've been much more obdurate and actually quite impressive defensively. Really unlucky against Everton. They had that last minute um, free kick, which went in. But as I say, you know, it's the teams around them where it's going to decide whether or not they stay up this season. Yeah, it's not the kind of game, Anita, is it, that's going to define their season? No, absolutely not. I think for Leicester, that's, you know, a game they would have looked at early on in the season and gone, that's a free hit. It's just an opportunity to try to um, work on things that they feel they need to progress to, to be competitive um, and and improve those areas. But of course, Man City seek that as an opportunity to get three points on the board and build on confidence and momentum and figure out the different kind of connections and relationships that perhaps work in the side and don't work. Um, and so that was an opportunity for them to do that. You know, not having Steph in the game, bring some younger players in, get them played in as well, because we know it's a long season. And if you're trying to compete in all competitions, it's important that they get that exposure throughout the squad. Yeah, it really is. Uh, just one more uh, game from the weekend. A 1-0 win for Tottenham over Liverpool. Um, it did look at one point, i.e. the first game of the season, Robin, that they were going to have a wonderful time back in the in the WSL. But those results against Everton and Tottenham have kind of perhaps brought them down to earth with a bump a little bit. Yeah, um, obviously that opening game against Chelsea was kind of just a fairy tale for them. Um, I think they've got a really, really good record at Prenton Park. So it will be those home games that they'll be targeting to to kind of cause those upsets. They've got a really good home record there. I mean, Tottenham, they're just a little bit further on than Liverpool, aren't they? They're, they're now, they've really built quite slowly, but surely. And now they're, they've added real quality to their team. I think Bizet looks looks very good. Obviously, Drew Spence is a really good addition as well as she went close to, to getting a second. I think, obviously, Spurs could have won this by quite a lot more. So, yeah, I think, you know, Liverpool will be delighted. They've got, you know, those, those points on the board um, already. But I think it will be more the sort of home games, again, sort of against the teams sort of around them. You know, Leicester, maybe West Ham, maybe Aston Villa, although those aren't going to be easy games. But, um, yeah, they can't let this the, these sort of couple of results get them down. Yeah, and Anita Robin mentioned Bizet there. She started for the first time along with Nicola Karczewska. Uh Rianne Skinner starting her two big summer signings for the first time. Do you think that we're finally going to see a bit of more of an attacking mindset from this Tottenham side once now they've solidified a bit? Absolutely. I think uh, Rianne Skinner has built a side that is very disciplined and organised. And I think they understand their out-of-possession responsibilities really well. Um, and what they've always kind of missed is that kind of 
um, creativity in those midfield areas to garner more attacks. And I think we saw that in that game that, you know, those players are forward thinking, they're positive, they want to find those forward passes and connect with that the, the forward line. Uh, and that makes a difference when you're playing teams like Liverpool, where you just don't allow them to get to their strengths and to their quality. And they're always having to worry about defending. Um, but, you know, credit to Liverpool too, because of course, it's important start to their season to get points on the board. Um, yes, th- these aren't necessarily the teams where you're always going to win. And, you know, as Robin said, they're going to be looking teams around them to pick up points. But still, they got defeated by one goal. They're not shipping in tons and tons of goals either. So they definitely have something to to build on as the season goes on. Yeah. Did you see Jilly Flaherty's tweet that she put out about many of the um, Liverpool fans sending her abuse on, on social media and how it made her feel? I just, you know, going back to, to, to social media, I, I feel as if we end up having to mention it every show we do in the end uh, at the moment because people seem to be wanting to direct their anger towards players and it's just unnecessary. It's disappointing and it's frustrating. Um, You know, I'm a Liverpool fan, so, you know, I'm sort of disgusted that our fans would do that as well. And, you know, if you're a true supporter and a fan of football, no matter what, you stick with your team and you stick with your players and you support them through the the highs and the lows and the difficult results. You don't direct whatever's going on in your life or whatever, your anger towards others. Um, And it's not really fair for these players to have to deal with that kind of level of targeted abuse. But it's it's unfortunate that, you know, now the women's game has that kind of level of attention and accessibility and scrutiny um and unfortunately those you know the slippery few that get through with their abuse are are able to target that at players just in case you were wondering where Susie Rackard uh, disappeared to she had to go on a little errand but she's back now she is professional returns to the pod Tottenham Liverpool Susie anything to say a good win for Tottenham. Um, like the second half, utterly pegged back, right? Like so many chances in the first half, so dominant in that first half, and then like real sort of wasted opportunities. And I, in the second half, as Liverpool sort of came back into it, you really, really thought they were going to be punished for their like proficacy in the first half, and then they were they, they just like defended for their lives. So like a real good three points for them, especially against a Liverpool team that you know beat Chelsea at the start of the season look quite good under Matt Beard um, and well-organised. Uh, yeah, like, I think Spurs needed that win. Um, you know, the start of the season hasn't been particularly smooth. Um, I think they sort of really, really need to find a little bit of consistency to their performances. And that was not a very consistent performance in, in terms of first half to second half. But that they clung on is something that they, they can take away from that game. See, such a pro comes in, uses long words. Unbelievable. That's the kind of professionalism we want to see from Villa and West Ham. (laughs) Uh, Before we finish up, Anita, we want to hear a little bit more about how your new job is going. Because if anybody was under a rock and not listening over the summer, um, Anita joined Bristol City as a coach back in July. What a start to the season as well. Top of the league. Four wins from five. The only team unbeaten. How's it going? Flying start, couldn't be happier. 
um, it's always nice to come in and not be like the bad omen and everything goes pop. <laughs> so, you know, that's positive. Um, but no, I'm really enjoying the experience. A really good group of players, um, you know, our staff work well together. And, um, you know, the main thing for me actually is I, I come home with headaches every day because there's so much thinking involved as a coach. And I think, you know, you kind of take it for granted as a player. You you show up, everything's set up. You know, you're more worried about taking care of your body. How do I feel today? I'm going to go rest after training. But as a coach, constantly, you know, working on session plans, you're, you're trying to think about the outcomes for the players, what they get out of it, and, and making the environment, you know, as good as it can be uh, so that they can perform at their best. So, but I'm really, yeah, I'm learning a lot and it's it's a great challenge. We um, on Women's Football Weekly listen to you, um, wonderful, wonderful listeners. And we will make sure that we mention something going on in the championship every show that we have from now on. It's something that me and Susie really want to do and all the team at, at The Guardian. So we will be. So Anita, for, for anyone who doesn't pay any attention to, to the championship or, or watch any of the football, what, what's it like as a league? Yeah, it's a really competitive league. I think a number of teams have strengthened. Um, they've, you know, become professional and, and getting their players to train full time, um, which has made it more competitive. The, you know, there's three or four teams at least that we're competing with in the top that we're trying to push aside to try and reach our ambitions. But um, definitely, I think you get that kind of almost a close atmosphere as well with the fans. It reminds me of my early days when I played at Arsenal um, and things like that. So it's a really good feel as well, the atmosphere. Um, and of course, we've got teams from up and down the country. You know, you've got Sheffield United, Durham, uh, teams that aren't necessarily associated with, with big Premier League clubs. So you've got that kind of local feel for a number of teams in the league. So, yeah, I would urge people to get out there and, and support their teams and, 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 you know, you'll definitely watch some really good football as well. What is the sort of ratio of like full time to part time? Although I know that's sort of relative sometimes, isn't it, in the championship? I would say I think it's at least uh, four or five clubs now that are full time and um, ourselves, London City, Crystal Palace, Charlton, um, and then there's a couple, you know, more semi-pro, but they kind of work in that model so that they can get their players in, you know, for double sessions and things like that around education. But of course, we have a number of younger players, mostly in their tw early 20s, who are studying. So it's it's really good that we can like be flexible and support them as well off pitch uh, as much as possible. And, that, and that's worked quite well so far. And actually... You can see that from the table in terms of the professionalism. You guys are, are top, London City, second, Charlton and, and then Crystal Palace. But some of the teams in in this league, you've got Southampton who were promoted last season, Sheffield United, Birmingham City, obviously relegated from the WSL last season, Durham Lewis, Sunderland Blackburn and then Coventry who are yet to score yet this season and have quite a few problems off the field um, it is a fascinating league that's for sure also further down the pyramid I just want to give a big shout out to Nottingham Forest in the FA Women's National League North a record 5,082 at the city ground for their 3-1 Derby win over Derby County which is absolutely incredible um, right that's everything from us this week Susie I presume that you're Heading to France or putting on a beret or something for all the Champions League stages getting underway? 
Oh yes, off to Lyon and then train to Paris and catching both the uh, Lyon Arsenal and PSG Chelsea games, which should be a good one. Although a little bit of a manic turnaround, but what a problem to have. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> God, don't complain about that. Where are we going to be seeing or hearing you next, Robin? Uh, well, I'll be, uh, in terms of the women's game, I'm really looking forward to doing uh, Brighton against Chelsea this weekend. Um, so that should be interesting. And uh, yeah, just be definitely be watching all the Champions League stuff this week. Very jealous of Susie, though. I lo- love the, the French diet. It's very bready, isn't it? A lot of pan au chocolat, baguette. It's right up my street. I love it. So yeah, enjoy, Susie. Be very, very jealous. Any exciting plans for the week ahead, Anita? Or just plotting... Bristol City's return to the WSL. Basically that face, spot on. Um, yeah, <laughs> just got getting all the girls back, obviously get, got a number of the internationals back as well. So getting the group together and um, preparing for the week ahead for our next fixture. Love it. Very good luck. We shall speak to you soon. We will be back next Tuesday to round up everything from the weekend's WSL action. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Sal Ahmed. This is The Guardian. 